0: Good morning, guys. How we doing? Happy New Year. How many of you guys uh, made it to midnight? Anybody? A couple of you? I made it to midnight purely to see if my phone would actually switch over to 2021 or if in a year like this, you never know if it was just going to keep lingering, the 2020 was going to live on. But uh, we made it. We did it. And uh, it's good to be with you guys. It's good to be with the family, certainly you guys up here at Northridge. And I know we got a lot of people joining us from Shea and at the Cactus Campus and all of you in the chapel. Uh, it's just good to be a family together. And I hope you guys are as encouraged as we are up here at Northridge uh, just to get to worship together with a family and to look around and realize we're not alone in all of this. So yeah, thank you guys for being here. Thanks for being a part of uh, ringing in the new year as we kick off 2021. Uh, and we're gonna talk about, you know, as mentioned earlier, we're gonna talk about this idea of hope. And uh, with everything going on in this year of 2020, we'd love to flush away. I told somebody the other day, it's the year we want to forget, but we never will. Uh, And we look forward to 2021. And I took my son to the gym the other day, and it was packed full of cars because everyone's, wow, we're getting in shape this year. We'll see how that goes. said, give it three weeks, and it'll be empty again. But uh, for right now, man, we got these dreams, these hopes. What do we want this next year to be? And so we're going to talk a lot about this idea of hope. Today, But we're gonna talk about it maybe in a little bit different way and, and really wrestling with where does our hope lie? And so I'll start us off by, by giving you this illustration. I've shared it before with some of you, so maybe you've heard it. But uh, in the late 50s, there was a, a clinical psychologist named Dr. Curtis Richter. And Curtis Richter was, was doing a study. He wanted to see what sort of impact aggression had on individuals when it comes to survival. And he couldn't test his stuff on individuals, so he tested it on rats. And what he would do is he had a a, a giant cylinder. It was about three feet tall, about a foot and a half wide. And he would fill it three-fourths of the way with water. And then he grabbed some domesticated rats. Just rats that had been raised, fed by hand. Very sweet. If you like to hold rats, you could. They'd scurry around on you. I don't know why you would, but you could. Domesticated rats. And one after another, he would take these rats and he would place them in the water cylinder. And he would see what happened. And every rat would swim around and swim around and swim around for about two to three minutes. And at about the three-minute mark, every rat, all 12 of them, would dive down to the bottom. And they would look for a way out. And they'd hit all the walls. And when they realized there was no way out, no rat lived past four minutes. Between two minutes and four minutes, as they searched for a way out, they would all give up and drown. is that interesting? Now he's going to put his hypothesis to the test and get some very aggressive rats So he went out and caught some of the meanest feral rats the state could provide. I mean, just nasty things. Known for their ability to swim, their their ferocity to survive. I mean, survived terrible conditions, but, but they were survivors. And so he took these nasty looking things and he pitched them into the same buckets of water. And he was astonished to see what happened. Two or three minutes, around they swam with everything they had. All the fury and aggression of a feral rat but the 3 minute mark they all dove down to the bottom looked around for a way out and at 4 minutes they all floated up to the top and died not one rat made it past 4 minutes he was baffled so we did the experiment again same results And maybe somewhere between nine and 12 on the rat scale, uh, about the ninth or 10th rat, he decided as he looked in, he just couldn't figure it out. He did something, maybe moved by compassion, maybe frustration, but he reached in and he grabbed one of these rats out of the water before it drowned. And he just looked at it and observed it and tried to figure out what was going on and why what he thought was gonna happen wasn't happening. And as the rat caught its breath and kind of shook off and sat there for a moment, and as he pondered and looked at it, he eventually, frustration or interest, just pitched him back in the water. The rat began to swim. Swam past four minutes. Swam past 40 minutes. Four hours. Curtis Richter would go home, having his lab assistants watch this rat and come back the next day, still swimming. 48 plus hours later, rat was still going. Finally died of exhaustion. Just couldn't swim anymore. That interesting. He tried it again. Same two rats, put one in, four minutes gone. The other one he rescued halfway through, put it in, 48 hours of constant swimming. He thought, what's going on here? He attributed it to one thing the idea of hope. You see, the rats in there that realize there's no way out, we can swim as long as we want, we can't get out, gave up and die. But those rest that just had a glimmer of hope, maybe if we keep swimming, if we just keep going, if we don't give up, maybe that hand will reach down in here again and save us and we'll be spared. Swam for, for over two days. He said, man, it's interesting. It's, a, it's, a, it's the motivation of hope and the idea of survival. And so he did a whole study on it. It's very interesting stuff. It's nerdy stuff, but interesting if you're into that. But he said, man, hope is a powerful motivator. And I think we would all agree, hope is a powerful motivator. You give somebody hope, there's a lot they can do. About a fight that we have in us, it's kind of the American way, right? Pick yourselves up and keep moving forward because there's better days ahead, and so let's keep going. And it drives a lot of us, but here's the question, and here's what I've been praying the Holy Spirit would show up and do and that we gotta wrestle with. Where does your hope lie? Because that to me is the most important thing in the world. It's one thing to have hope, but where you place your hope is very important. So as we begin to wrestle with and as we begin to look at scripture, I'm gonna have you really think that idea around in your own head. Where does your hope lie? As you look forward to this next year, as you look back and put 2020 in the rear view and you begin to think about what's gonna be, where does your hope lie? What are you putting your hope in and on? Because I think the answer to that question is gonna be very important for us, certainly as we roll in to this new season. So let me pray for us and then we'll dive into our time in the word here. God, we thank you so much. Uh, God, as I've shared in the earlier services, just my own journey, not being able to be here for the last couple of weeks, and so to be back with my family here and to worship you together and sing praises to you to study your word together, God, I just thank you. I thank you for the body of Christ. I thank you for each and every person here today. Um, And God, just the gift that you've given us in each other. Uh, And so God, I do, I pray this morning as we dive into your word that your Holy Spirit would speak, that you would convict hearts, that you would draw us to you. God, I pray for those that maybe don't know you that you would open the eyes of their heart to the beauty of your gospel. God, you might call some sons and daughters into your family today, uh, but God, for the rest of us that know you, that know who we are in you, God, I pray that you would meet us in this place, that you would challenge us, you would convict us, and God, as always, that you would speak through your word this incredible gift you've given us. So we love you, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, so if you guys want to flip your Bibles open there, you can. Let me give you a little bit of a backdrop of what's going on. Uh, the Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul, and he's going to write to this church, and he's going to make a statement that we've got to understand some of the backstory to, to, to really put it in context. He's going to say this light momentary affliction. That's the phrase he's going to use, light momentary affliction. Now, if you've read through the book of Acts, here's what you've got to know about Paul. Uh, Paul's life was not full of what you and I would call light momentary affliction. We would look at the life of Paul and go, dude, what is, you got a rough go. He had been beaten multiple times, sticks, back of the legs on his back, whipped. He's, been, he's in prison. He's locked up to a Roman soldier in the middle of this hole in the middle of nowhere, and he's writing letters of joy to the, the church in Philippi, but wrongfully imprisoned. He was stoned multiple times, at least two times we know about. Not stone, stone, but like rocks thrown at him and stoned, okay? He was stoned, thinking he was dead. He got out of it. Shipwrecked, lost at sea, starving at times. I mean, just a life that you would look at and go, man, how much more can this guy take? And yet Paul would write light momentary affliction. Why is that? And so we're going to take a look. I began to wrestle with, okay, so, so Paul, you can go through all of that stuff and still have more on the horizon, knowing you're arrested, you're knowing that you're most likely going to be killed for your faith, all of that. And you can say it's all light, momentary affliction. How do you get there? So I began to wrestle with, what, what was it about him? What was it about Paul that gave him this unwavering hope? And I think there's a couple of things. We'll get to them in just a second. But as we talked about earlier, the first thing that I think you're gonna realize from Paul is that it was not misplaced hope. He didn't misplace his hope. Listen to what he would say in 2 Corinthians chapter four, verse 14 through 18. He would say, knowing that he, the he there is God. So knowing that God who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. So there's an eternal Aspect here. One day we're going to be in the presence of God for eternity. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving. The gospel going forth. Paul was always preaching the gospel to the glory of God. So we do not lose hearts. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And here's our statement For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. See what Paul's getting at here? From the very beginning, he begins to say, Look, don't forget that you're gonna be raised with God one day if you know Christ. And the gospel's gonna go forth to more and more people. That's why we're here. And so are we gonna suffer stuff? Are we gonna be afflicted? Yeah, but it's affliction, it's light, it's momentary. And all of it's preparing us for eternal glory. And don't forget that the things that are now are transient. There's eternal things waiting. His, his, his hope is not fixed on the temporary transient things. And yet, as we ask the question, here's what I gotta ask you, the same question I've been wrestling with myself. Where does our hope lie? If our hope is on transient, temporary Earthly things, man, then we are in danger and in trouble. And if 2020 taught us anything, it's how quickly those things can be taken from us, and then what are we left with? So I began to wrestle with my own life. Okay, what are those, what are those transient, temporary things that I've misplaced my hope in? So I started to run through the list. Uh, I love my kids. My kids are awesome. Uh, I've got a 20 year old all the way down to a five year old and, and four more in between. So, there, I mean, it's, it's awesome. I love being a dad. But I love my kids. I think I love my kids too much to put my hope in my kids. They got enough pressure on their own living life. They don't need the hopes of their father resting on their shoulders. They're kids. They're gonna make a hundred mistakes in the next week. They're gonna do a thousand things right, a hundred things wrong. It's 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 the nature of kids. If I put my hope in my kids... That's a dangerous place. I can have dreams for them, I can encourage them, I can want great things for them, but my hope does not rest on how my kids turn out. So we gotta be careful, don't misplace our hope. I'm, for the first time, I was telling the services earlier, for the first time in my life, I'm, I'm, I'm in a job, in a position where I feel like, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be, and I'm actually affirmed and encouraged in my job. I, I've got a, a sense of um, well, support and encouragement from my boss. me. So for the first time in my life, I have security in my job. I've never had that before in my life. 20 years I spent thinking every day I was going to get fired. I finally have overcome that anxiety and fear and feel like I'm in a good spot. My hope is not in this job. I'm I'm one bad decision and maybe five stupid statements away from them going, well, that's it for you. You're out of here, right? Okay. So my hope can't be in this. I long for you guys to like me and to go, oh, that was a good sermon and we appreciate it. But my hope can't be in your opinion of me. It can't be, it's gotta be in other things. So I begin to think, okay, where's maybe the most misplaced hope that I have? And and I'll be honest with you, as I wrestle with this, this is the, it kept coming up, I kept throwing it out, but it kept coming up. I have an incredible wife, I love my wife. My wife, Brooke, is is the greatest wife that's ever breathed there on this planet, she's awesome. There's a real danger that I have of misplacing my hope onto our relationship because when things are good, I can take on the world. Things go sideways with Brooke and I and they do every now and then. My world implodes quick and I begin to feel a sense of hopelessness and a sense of, oh, God, come back today, I'm ready. And so I begin to think, maybe I've put too much hope in my relationship with my wife. Maybe I've misplaced some hope. So ask yourself, as you look forward to this next year, have dreams, have goals. Man, I hope me and Brooke spend the next 50 years of our lives in love and it's awesome. I want all of that. I can't be where my hope lies. I can't be where my hope lies. Great goal, not my hope. Where does your hope lie as you look forward? What matters most? Where are you finding that hope? The Apostle Paul is gonna say, be careful of the transient, be careful of the temporary. There's danger in misplacing our hope, but there's great confidence that can come, great confidence that comes, and unwavering confidence when you begin to find your hope in eternal things. Did you catch what he said there? He said, Look, light, momentary affliction preparing us for eternal glory. Transient things, temporary things, things that aren't going to last, but there's an eternal time coming. Man, there's, there's confidence that comes when we can find ourselves thinking about eternal things and an unwavering hope that comes when we focus on those things. And so, how do we get there? How do we get there? How do we get to an unwavering hope where we can be confident even as life comes up? as things come up in the midst of our world that we can live through and go, okay, this is hard, but you know what, this is light, this is momentary. Is it an affliction? Absolutely, don't don't hear Paul wrong and go, hey, this is light, momentary, easy stuff. No, it's affliction, it's hard, it hurts. But can we see it as temporary? Can we realize that it's not forever? Because we have an eternal hope and we long and dream of greater things. So here's where we're gonna go. I'm gonna share with you two things. Uh, these are not, this is not self-help time. This is not two things to live a better life in 2021. Uh, these are just two things that have helped me. And if this is nothing more than cathartic for me and, and, and you guys get to gut this out for the next 15, 20 minutes, I apologize. But if this helps you at all, man, that's my hope because it's helped me a lot to keep my hope on things that are not changing so quickly because relationships Brooke and I, we're great now. That could change. Again, I'm one dumb, stupid comment away from disrupting that real quick. Uh, It's always changing. But man, there's an unwavering, unshakable hope that we can have in who we are in Christ. And so here's our first thing. It's this. We gotta never forget who I am in and to Christ. Never forget who you are both in Christ and to Christ. And you hear that and you go, okay, that's so simple. Man, if, you, if that becomes so simple and you read that and you write that down and you go, okay, yeah, what else you got? Man, then Satan has already won, I think. Because if you're in here and you know Jesus Christ, you've placed your faith in Christ, you've come to the end of yourself and said, I need Jesus for everything, and God himself adopts you into his family and you become a son or daughter of God most high, In that moment, the day that takes place, the second that takes place, can we all acknowledge Satan lost the battle for your soul that moment. It is secure, eternally secure. Nothing can change that. So his battle now changes from keeping that from you. You now have that. You are a son or daughter of God Most High. So now his greatest goal is to convince you that's not that big of a deal and to get your eyes off of everything that comes with being a son or daughter of God most high. And to make a statement like, we begin to forget who we are in Christ and to Christ. And so we spend our days going, yeah, I'm a child of God, but look at all this stuff I got. And all this transient, light, momentary affliction begins to rise up and steal our attention. And we spend our time going, I'm a son of God. God loves me. The God of the universe is for me. But look at this. And then we spend hours and days and weeks and seasons fixated on transient things. We begin to forget who we are to Christ. Don't give Satan that victory. Never forget who you are, both in Christ and to Christ. You are a beloved son or daughter of God if you know Jesus. He is for you, He is with you, He is down here. And and are you are you afflicted? Absolutely. We're all gonna have stuff. We're all gonna have stuff. We just got through a, a rough year. There might be more rough stuff ahead we are not alone. And part of God's love for us is to journey that road with us each and every step of the way as our good father. And so this is where we gotta begin to wrestle with, okay, what do I know to be true about God and how does that play itself into my light momentary afflictions? Because this is hard, but God is for me, God loves me, I'm God's child. How does this go together? I mean, you we gotta, we gotta wrestle with that. But you gotta know God's with you in it. And sometimes part of the way in which God loves you as his father, as your father, is he, he takes you through some stuff to make you stronger in the end, bring you out stronger on the other side. Go read James chapter one. It's what trials are all about. Produces faith, unshakable faith. But you got to be willing to go through the afflictions and do the work, do some of those hard things. COVID's been a blessing in a lot of ways. It's been a curse for our family because my uh, second grader is now doing school online, which means I get to teach him school because second graders aren't meant to watch school online. So my eight-year-old, Caden, he's learning math. You guys realize they changed math since I went to school? <laughs> they got some weird base 10 system now where you got two two numbers and you got to subtract 10s from it and get left. It's, it's a mess. So I'm trying to figure this out. I'm getting incredibly frustrated. And so we begin to do math together and Caden's trying to add stuff up and nine plus two, nine plus two, nine plus two. And I just go, it's 11, okay, it's 11. (laughs) Oh, thanks, writes down 11. And then he learns, eight plus four, eight plus four, eight (laughs) plus four, all right, it's 12. He fires it down. And so we're about halfway through his math page and I'm just spitting these answers out like no big deal. And Brooke comes in and goes, what are you doing? Like, oh, I'm helping with his math. (laughs) he's never gonna learn that way. I'm like, oh, but it's taking him forever. (laughs) And she brought up a good point. She goes, how did you learn math? I'm like, man, I had to sit there and add these things up and figure it out. She goes, okay, do you you realize that someday he's gonna be sitting in a room with his second grade son and he's gonna be going nine plus two, nine plus two. And Caden's gonna call you and ask you, dad, (laughs) what's nine plus two? Because he never learned it because this light momentary affliction of doing simple math, you're removing all the burden from him and doing it for him. And so he's never going to grow. She said, can you love him enough to let him do the hard things? Love him enough to let him figure it out. And so there he is, nine plus two. I don't have any more fingers. What do I do? Get those toes out, son. You'll figure it out, right? And He's got to do it. He's got to grind it out. But if I don't make him do that, if I just make it easy for him, then he never grows, he never learns. It's the same thing with walking. You guys remember watching your kids learn how to walk? It's terrifying. They're bruised up and there's sharp corners on every table and there's stairs to manage and they're tumbling down all over the place. Oh, I love my kids so much, I never let them get hurt. So I carry them everywhere. Do you guys realize that if my dad had to carry me out on stage in his arms and me preach this sermon while I was in his arms because he never let me learn how to walk, what kind of father that would make him? I protected him. I never let him get hurt. That's true, but I never grew. Never got stronger, never got better. Sometimes, can we look at our light momentary afflictions maybe that way, instead of shaking a fist at God and going, God, how could you let this happen? Maybe we can begin to see it as, okay, God, I'm your beloved son. You are for me, you are with me. This is hard. In fact, this stinks right now, and I don't wanna do it. But thank you for being with me in the process. And helping me grow as a result of it. Maybe if we did that, maybe our perspective would change. but that doesn't happen if we forget who we are in Christ and to Christ. If we get so wrapped up in these light momentary afflictions that we lose sight of that, Satan's already won, and now we're shaking a fist at God instead of praising Him the way we should. Got to be careful. Here's a passage that would affirm this. Romans eight twenty-three. <clears throat> go read Romans eight eighteen. It's very, it, it's very affirming of what he wrote in Corinthians. But here's where we go in verse twenty-three. He says, "But we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the spirit, so we're children of God. Okay, we put our faith in Christ. We're the first fruits of the spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons. Why? For the redemption of our bodies. For in this we hope, or for in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope." For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with, I don't like this word. If we could take that one out, it'd be good. But we hope for it with patience. You get it? Don't forget who you are in Christ. You are an adopted son or daughter of God. And though we would love to sit down here and go, God, I'm your adopted kid. Heap your favor upon me now. God's going, maybe not now. Maybe maybe you'll get some of it now. Maybe 2021's the, the year that changes everything for you. And God just goes, here's favor upon favor upon favor. Maybe you get that. Maybe you don't. Doesn't change who God is or who you are to Him. Because any affliction that comes, it's light and it's momentary. And God is with you in it. And can you realize if His favor comes now or it comes in eternity? It's coming. Because you're God's kid and He loves you and He's for you. Can we find our hope there? And if nothing else, just just every night as you lay your head on your pillow, can you just remember, okay, I'm a beloved son or daughter of God, can at least put some of the light momentary afflictions in our life in perspective, some of these transient temporary things in perspective. Maybe it will. It has certainly helped me. Here's the second thing that has really helped me is to never forget, there we go, never lose sight of what awaits God's beloved. Never lose sight of what awaits us as children of God. It is so easy to get fixated on the here and now. So easy, especially in our world. Everything is about right now, right now, right now, this moment. We get consumed by it. We can lose sight of what's going on going forward. Culture has created it. I was telling my kids the other day, when I was growing up, we used to have to drive to Blockbuster Video, you remember those? And you have to walk in and look at a wall of VHS tapes, and then you have to find one that you wanted to watch, drive back to your house, put it in this gigantic machine, Have to rewind it because the other guy forgot to rewind it. Rewind the whole thing and then you'd watch your movie. We're sitting down the other day and my kids go, let's watch a Christmas movie. They just pick up the remote and go home alone and bang, it's on the TV. I'm like, you guys are so spoiled. You know how hard it was in my day? Man, we had to get VHS tapes. Well, we get so used to things now, 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 now that the now becomes what's most important. We we, We get so consumed by the now. We can't even allow ourselves to realize now is not forever. This is all temporary, transient, light, and momentary. But eternity awaits. We allow ourselves to dream in that world. I'll give you two two things to kind of help illustrate this. I was thinking about the other day, okay, what what could I share in the midst of a pandemic like this? I don't wanna wanna stay away from that. Uh, So what was the last major crisis that I could remember being conjured up that they wanted to to use fear and, and everything to grip us? You guys remember 20 years ago, where you were 20 years ago? You guys remember the great horror of 20 years ago that gripped the world, the whole world was gonna end. You remember what it was? A little thing called Y2K, you remember that? <laughs> For all of you that don't remember Y2K, here's what it was. Every computer had a two digit code at the end of it uh, that signified the year, but it was only two numbers. So all the people, scientific computer nerds out there said, "Okay, here's the problem. When it's 99, we're okay, but when it flips over to zero, that's going to reset everything, and so everything run by computers is going to implode and shut down. All your electricity, missiles are going to launch. I mean, people are I mean, it's just getting me crazy. Grab your sticks, hoard your food. and You're going to have to get out there and hunt again. Like I mean, that's what we were telling us." So everyone's got like, you know, sacks of rice in their, in their garage and a bunch of beans everywhere. And you're like, what is happening? It's Y2K. So we all sat there anxiously on 1999 waiting. Okay, it's gonna roll over. It's gonna roll over. And then it rolls over and none of the power went out. Ball still dropped. Everything was fine. And we look back on that and my, my guess would be none of you thought about Y2K until I just brought it up because 20 years ago is when it happened. But you look at it in the moment. It's all anybody could talk about what's going to happen? Nothing. We move on. This virus is serious. I had it. It was not fun. I would not wish it on my worst enemy. It is a terrible thing. But 20 years from now, there'll be something else. There will be. There will always be something else vying for our attention that we can get fixated on and go, oh, or As sons and daughters of God most high, what might it look like to lift our head up from whatever it is? Not deny it, not not acknowledge it, not just go, I don't care about it. No, own it, it's real. But it's not where our hope lies because eternity awaits us as sons and daughters of God and can we allow ourselves to be driven by that hope? Can we do that? Here's what has helped me. I had a mentor of mine long ago. I've I've told you guys before, uh, I have the unspiritual gift of worry. I worry about everything. Everything. And so I had my mentor and he sat me down one day and said, man, you, you worry about a lot of stuff. I said, oh, I know, I'm anxious all the time. He goes, what, what if you tried this? He called it the 100-year rule. You can make up whatever time frame you want. 100-year works for me. He said, here's what I want you to do. Whatever's going on in your world, whatever it is that's vying for your attention, whatever it is that's come up, that's got you so gripped with fear and worry and angst and anxiety, what might it look like to look at that problem that situation, and just think, okay, in 100 years, is this really gonna matter? In 100 years, will this really matter? I'm 41 years old. 100, 100 years from now, I'm, I'm gonna be in the presence of God for all eternity. Short of some kids over in the nursery, most of the rest of us are gonna be there too, if you know Jesus. But 100 years from now, when our time has come and gone, are some of the things that we get so fixated on now really that important? those comforts we chase, those kids we want to turn out just the way we want, that relationship we want to have, that spouse that we're looking for. Man, you can find your hope in a lot of things, but man, I'm telling you, they're transient, they're temporary. Can we live life in light of eternity and realize that eternity awaits and a hundred years from now, the only thing that's gonna matter to every one of us that knows Jesus Christ is that we're in God's presence forever and how glorious that's gonna be. Now, do not hear me say this, that whatever you're going through in life right now doesn't matter. It matters, it's a big deal. It's all a big deal. Talked to a brother last service, losing his mom probably today. That's terrible, breaks my heart. We got people hurting all over the place and our heart breaks with them and we were there for them and we were praying for them and encouraging them, but man, this life is temporary, it's transient, it's not eternal. It was never meant to last. But eternity awaits. And though it doesn't take away the sting or the pain or the affliction of the here and now, it does put it in a little bit different perspective, at least for me. And so maybe that will help as you look forward to a year that's full of challenges and stuff. Maybe give you a a different perspective to give you a different sense of hope. If you and your wife are awesome for this next year and it's the the greatest year of your marriage ever, great. Let's not let our hope lie there. If your kids make a thousand dumb decisions and only five good ones, that's okay. Our hope doesn't rest there. If you flip it around, that's great too. Don't let your hope rest there. Unwavering, confident hope can be found knowing who you are in Christ and what awaits you when you go to see Jesus someday. Let's circle back. We'll end on this, back to our rats. Here's the interesting thing. Not to be a downer on the rat study. If you're a rat animal activist, I apologize. But uh, every one of those rats... Where they had hope and were saved and swam for two and a half days or they swam for four minutes, they all died. None of them made it. Uh, That's the reality. Because these bodies, as you heard from Paul, they're wasting away. Outwardly, we're wasting away, though. Inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. Outwardly, we're wasting away. We were never meant to spend eternity here. We were all meant to spend eternity somewhere, and we're all gonna spend eternity somewhere. You put that 100-year thing to the test. 100 years from now, you'll be in eternity somewhere, either in the presence of God because of what Jesus Christ did for you or in the presence separated from God. The Bible calls it hell. You can call it whatever you want. It's telling you what God tells calls it. But we're all gonna be in eternity in one of those two spots. What you do with Jesus is the single most important question you could ask yourself today because where you end up has everything to do with what you do with Jesus Christ. That's just the facts. Has nothing to do with joining this church or any church. Has everything to do with what do you do with Jesus? Because here's the reality of the gospel the God of the universe is looking down at every single one of us, every single one of you online, Shea, Cactus, North, I mean, all of us. And He loves us. He loves you. He loves you. But when he looks down at you, if you don't know Christ, you know what he sees? A messed-up sinner just like I was, full of all sorts of stupid decisions. You can call them whatever you want: moral failures, bad ideas, bad decisions. Bible calls it sin. It's imperfection. And God's looking down at you going, "Man, you are a mess. You are a mess. And at some point, every one of us has to acknowledge that. You're right, God, I am a mess. And so because God loves you, where we started, he looks down at your mess and goes, I'm gonna fix that. And so that's what he did. That's what we just celebrated at Christmas. The God of the universe comes down to earth, lives a perfect life, and at the end of his life finds himself in a garden. And Jesus is in the garden having it out with God, saying, God, if there's another way, let's do that. And God says, there's not. You gotta die for the sins of the world. And so he does. They murder him on a cross, physical, horrific death. More importantly, He bore the wrath of God for the sins of the world, mine included. Bore the wrath of God for the sins of the world. They put him in a grave. Three days later, he comes back to life, beats death so that you and I could sit here with hope and to know what it means to be God's kids and to have an eternal hope because Christ beat that. But it all comes down to what do you do with Jesus? Jesus. Because when the time's over and when your 100-year mark comes, when God calls you home or you, you kneel before him or he comes back, he's gonna look at you in that moment. He ain't gonna ask how many times did you go to church? How much money did you give? How many hours did you serve? None of that matters. He's gonna ask you one question. What'd you do with Jesus? What'd you do with my son that I sent here to die for you? Did you believe in him or did you reject him? And that's all that matters. So you wanna know what it means to be a son or daughter of God? You gotta know Jesus. Do you know Jesus? And if you're here today and you don't, talk to me. Talk to Chad. Talk to another pastor. Talk to another friend here. If you're online, get online. Interact with Ryan. Send Ryan a message. Just say, hey, I'd love to talk to you more about that. Cactus, you can talk to Rick. You know, Rustin and Neil are running around Shea somewhere. You can talk to them. But talk to somebody before you go. There's no greater decision you could make. You want an unwavering hope as you go into a year of uncertainty? It's only gonna come if you remember who you are to Christ who God is to you and what eternity awaits us. So here's my hope and prayer for all of us. Uh, I was with my wife the other day. Uh, we were over in California. We got away for two days. It was awesome. But we're sitting on the beach. We sat on the beach every day because California was shut down. It's California. So we sat on the beach. We looked out at the beautiful ocean. Everything this way was beautiful. Everything behind us was a mess. I just remember looking out and looking at Brooks saying, man, look at this, look how beautiful this is. Waves were crashing, sun was going down, it was awesome. I said, can you believe, look at how beautiful this place is. This is what God made in the midst of a decrepit, fallen, broken world, full of sin. Can you imagine what the new heaven and the new earth is gonna be like? Well, there is no sin, there is no death, there is no pain, there is no hurt. Can you imagine what a creative, all-powerful God's gonna make for us to spend eternity in? And just allowed my mind to drift for a little while and to dream about what it's gonna be like. And let me tell you how encouraging it was to my soul. You wanna, you wanna, you wanna pull yourself out of some of the, the bad news, dark news stuff that you're experiencing as you're on social media and watching the news? Take just a minute, shut the TV off, and just say, I'm gonna spend five minutes dreaming about eternity in the presence of God. See if it doesn't lift your spirits a little bit and give you a different sense of hope of what it's gonna be like. Because 100 years from now, those of us that know Christ, we're gonna be there together, and it's gonna be awesome. Do you know Jesus? What do you do with Christ? Let me pray for us. God, we thank you so much. God, I thank you for the hope that I have in you. And I thank you for calling me into your family all those years ago. God, I thank you for the hope that it continues to be. God, I pray for those days when it is hard. And God, light momentary afflictions that seem overwhelming. God, I pray in those moments that you would show yourself, you would remind me of all the ways you've been faithful in the past, that you would encourage me, you'd lift my spirits. God, that you would never let me forget who I am to you and what awaits me someday when you call me home. So God, let me find my hope in that. God, I pray the same for every one of my brothers and sisters here and at our other campuses. God, those of us that know you, I pray that we would live life with that hope and that we would take that hope to a hurting world that's driving by us right now, that so desperately needs to see the hope of your son, Jesus. God, let us put it on display every opportunity we get. God, for those that are here online, other campuses that maybe don't know you yet, maybe you're calling them into your family right now. God, give them courage. Do not let your spirit relent for a second of pressing into their heart and their life to speak to somebody before they go. God, draw them into your family. So God, we love you. We thank you for your word and the hope that it provides. I pray even now as we celebrate communion that we would remember the sacrifice you made on our behalf because you love us. We love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.